Good morning, everybody, or evening, or whenever you're listening to this. Welcome back to Dirty Girl. This week, we are talking with my friend, Joy Mamie. We went to college together. Joy is an incredible comedian. She's so wonderful. She's been on the podcast before, but we're bringing her back because Joy recently went through chemotherapy, and she came on the pod to talk about the dirtiness of cancer and chemo, and it was very inspiring and wonderful to hear her perspective, and it was vulnerable, and it was everything. So without further ado, Joy. Can you explain to everybody what you're doing at this exact moment? Um, I'm, oh, I'm smoking a little, little, little weed. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> Yeah, we're uh, we're putting in some uh, loud pack here. There's a hybrid London pound cake. It's quite delicious. Wow. It's been very good to me the last few days. This was my birthday present to myself. One of many because, again, I, I've moved recently. So oh, and a lot of purchases birthday. that need to happen. Huh? And happy birthday. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Gemini season is in full swing. <laughs> so it's a good time. <laughs> good stuff. Is weed smoking something you picked up? Uh, I know that that's prescribed for cancer as well. Or is that mm-hmm. something, have you always just been a pothead? I, I've always been a pothead, which made cancer, I think, just a little bit easier for me. <laughs> and that I'm like, well, I know the tried and true method of pain relief. And it, it really is amazing how much I really did see this this medicine work when I was going through chemo, especially in the beginning phases, because, um, for like the first week and a half, I didn't have any pot. Like I just, I I think I was a little bit scared because I thought maybe it was, you know, maybe it was just dangerous too. And I'd been smoking vape pens a lot, which I don't do anymore because those are just really bad for you. We should never be inhaling something that hot into our lungs. And it's like, that's really hard for me to admit. because I really, I mean, they're so useful and they're so like, what do you call it? They're just so convenient. Um, but I, I just don't think that that was good, but I do smoke regular, regular herb and, um, yeah, it helps so much to get myself to eat, which was like the hard one of the hardest parts is like wanting to eat, but knowing that your body hurts so much, that <laughs> it just can't do it. Um, and it curbed the, it didn't curb the nausea hundred percent, but it definitely helped. Um, so, you know, can you talk about, um, some of the symptoms like you just mentioned? Oh yeah. So chemo does a whole lot more than just make you throw up. Um, well, as many like people know, like it makes you lose your hair. It makes you, it made my skin really delicate. Um, I, I would just find myself like having little like nicks, like on my foot all of a sudden, or my arm. I'm like, where the, like I I'd suddenly just have like a cut just because if like even lightly bumping into something, which I do a lot of, <laughs> to be quite honest, I'm a very clumsy person, but I wouldn't even it, like, it's one of those things where you're not moving even that much. Like I was mainly had to succumb to like being on a bed or a couch and hopefully get a walk in once a day, um, just so I could be outside and stuff. But I was pretty sedentary just because it's just impossible to have like you you just lose so much weight and so much muscle as well that it's just you know in that short amount of time it's super super difficult to you know get, you know get yourself to do anything but when you when i did get up somehow for some reason my skin would just kind of i kept saying that my skin was breaking um which you know 
luckily it's not the case anymore because I'm not, I'm not in treatment anymore. But um, yeah, there was a lot of that. Um, the inability to eat was the big one for me um, because I love to eat. <laughs> it's very, it's very disappointing when, you know, that happens. Oh, also going to the bathroom is a whole issue in and of itself. Um, just t- like pooping, which is a generally a, a wonderful experience it became a very difficult, <laughs> just cause you'd be like in pain, like, and not pooping. It's like constipation slash just like when you did go, it just, it hurt. And like, you can, like, it just took longer. Everything takes longer. Um, so yeah, those, those are, those are the big few that I can think of off the top of my head. And how long were you on chemo from? Uh, for six months. So I would do it every two weeks. And so it'd be like Sunday, I would do chemo. I would stay overnight in the hospital. Um, that's not generally how it was done in the beginning. I didn't do that. Uh, I would just go home after treatment and it's like each treatment is about four hours. So like I would get there, they do all the labs, which is like when they take blood and all that kind of shit, which is not my forte. I do not like getting, I do not like needles or whatever. Um, so I have a port, uh, which is like right over my, uh, on the left, not left, right hand side of my body, uh, on my chest. It's like this little, bionic thing that they can access, uh, you know, get, draw your labs without having to like hit you with a needle. Um, they just do it there and like you do all this stuff like to numb it and all this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, so that's, and after that one, that's also how they give you chemo is they set it through there as well. So that would just knock me out in the process of it. And then I would wake up like, as if I had like the worst hangover of my life. <laughs> um, Cause I mean, that's essentially what it is. It's just like filling your bo- body up with chemicals that make it weird. It's what drinking is. So <laughs> it's, if you like to drink, you know, chemo is going to be a breeze. It's going to be <laughs> easy peasy. <laughs> so you describe chemo as having a terrible hangover every two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you deal with the out, like every single day after that, a different symptom happens. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, it, it would go through a process. Hold on. Forgive me. I'm going to turn my fan really quick. It's a little warm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So like after chemo, I'd have like a day of rejuvenate. Oh, that's what I meant to say earlier is that like in the beginning I didn't go home. I would st- or sorry, I, I didn't stay in the hospital. I would go home and then I would get really dehydrated. And when that would happen, it would spark a fever, which if you get a fever, you, you have to be really careful because like, you know, it's, it's just really bad when you're in chemo, you need to be hydrated. You need to be getting as much water because you're just flushing everything through. And, um, yeah. So when I didn't do that, like each time, like the next day I would sleep all day still like, from the hangover of chemo essentially. And then I would wake up boiling and having to go to the, go right back to the hospital because they had to, you know, fix the, like, you know, it had to make sure that you could keep water down, keep food in. I mean, food wasn't actually one of the bigger concerns that my doctor had. He was like, people will eat when they want to eat. It's more important to get you hydrated. So everything flows through um, but yeah, if, if I couldn't swallow water, if I couldn't keep it down or something, I would have to stay in the hospital longer. And it's like, you know, 
it's not fun to, no one wants to go to the hospital. So it's like to be stuck there is, is not ideal, but then, then we learned how my body kind of was reacting to it, that I needed to stay over, um, be hydrated. And then the fever generally wouldn't come or it wouldn't be as bad as the ones early on. So I could handle it, but then that would go away. And then just everything else, all the, all the little bits and pieces. Can we talk a little bit about your diagnosis, how you found out your thought process surrounding it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, on May 11th, this last year, this was one year since I found the first lump. Um, so I found it underneath, it was like right under my jaw on my right side, this like big, like, like it was very clearly a, like a ball, like a, like almost like a tiny tennis, not, not tennis ball, sorry, tiny ping pong ball, um, which I think grew into a normal sized ping pong ball at a certain point. Um, and yeah, basically what happened was I, I felt it and I immediately started to panic because I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then I looked it up online and it's, you know, the first thing that it said, it was probably cancer. And I was like, no, not going to be one of those people who believes that, not me. And then uh, it said it could also be a a, sore th- uh, a sign of a infection and wait for a sore throat. And then you'll have a cold and it'll go away. And then that was my plan <laughs> and it didn't work out that way. And it ended at like, so I waited a few months to go to the doctor to see. Um, and by then more, two more bumps had grown on my neck and they were smaller, but they felt more tender. You know, the other one was felt like a little bit more like it's just like a growth. It didn't hurt or anything, but the other ones. And so I, I mean, I knew that it had to be something I think I knew pretty quickly that it probably was that. Um, I think just like my, it was a combination of intuition slash, you know, Murphy's law kind of thing. I I think I was going through. And so when I went to the doctor, um, you know, she was like, well, we're not sure we have to go through and stuff. And then um, essentially what happened was my doctor told me to call a number, which was for the American can or either the American Cancer Network or the California Cancer Network, something like that. And then that was kind of like, oh, this is my answer. And then I had to get biopsied. And then the nurse who was doing the biopsy, um, that's where they stick a needle into the <laughs> into whatever place they need to check for, for, cell, for the cancer cells. So for me, that was in my neck. Um, <laughs> it was, hor- it was really, truly terrifying experience. And the nurse who came in, uh, to do that, she was all like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. And there was like an ultrasound that they were doing on my neck. And she goes, has anybody told you this is prob- this could be lymphoma? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, yeah, it's probably that let's do this. And like, it's a very jarring experience to have someone that positive be kind of just diagnose you loosely. <laughs> and then you have to go through the actual process of, it, of, of getting a needle in your neck. And then, um, so I, I, I was, I mean, not to mention like when my, like I own my, like maybe my third doctor's appointment before I got that my mom came with me. Um, and she's the one who ended up going through the entire family history of people who had cancer in our family. And I think that was also a big, like, yeah, no, that's probably what it is. It was, it was all kind of like coming to me in like 
moments of, yeah, probably, yeah, probably, yeah, probably. And then, yeah, it is, you know? <laughs> so I, I, it wasn't, I'm, I'm glad that it wasn't like smacked in my face that I was diagnosed. Like that's just what it is. Cause I think that's, I mean, I, I don't, I think people might, certain people react differently in that situation. And I don't know how I would have versus the kind of, you know, slow burn that, still not great news, but I think I was given a little bit more time to come to terms with it, um, in the beginning versus denying it. Well, no, I mean, I denied it. I definitely did in the beginning when I first felt it, but I think that was more wishful thinking denying, (laughs) which, well, then again, that's probably what just denial is. Um, but (laughs) you have a family history. Yeah. So, um, my dad, uh, passed away from pancreatic cancer back in 2015. Um, my mother's brother, uncle Billy, I never met him. I don't think he met any of my sisters and I, um, he had, he also had lymphoma back in the eighties. So back then they didn't treat it as well as they do now. Like lymphoma, I have classic Hodgkin's lymphoma and that's like, they say like the best one to get, um, because it's very treatable now, but back in the eighties, they just treated, they just hit him with a bunch of radiation, um, which is just, they found better ways that it just wasn't good for him. And it essentially just broke his body down and he, he didn't get to, you know, he didn't get to, to, to win. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of cancer in my family. Uh, I believe both grandparents on my father's side had it different kinds, breast cancer. And I'm not sure what my grandfather had. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just like a big lineage of people, um, just, you know, that get hit with it. And it's one of those things where it's like, it is really still very rare to get cancer, but it's just, I mean, it's so important to know your family history, to know your, um, probability of getting it, I guess. Uh, like I actually just watched, um, the documentary on, uh, Gilda Radner again, uh, Love Gilda. And I was, looking up like interviews afterwards with, with Jean uh, Wilder. And one of the big things that happened after her death was they, they started the Gilda foundation, which is a, um, for people who have cancer, who are also comedians and stuff. And one of the big things that he was talking about was how, how rampant cancer was in her family and how they just didn't know because all the doctors just assumed she was fine. They gave her, they misdiagnosed her. They were, they were, you know, they were a little bit more like, Oh, don't worry. You famous person. You're going to be fine. Everything's cool. And then therefore it was too late for, um, you know, her journey. I mean, she still got treated and she went through all those motions, but even so it, you know, unfortunately for her, she, she didn't, she, she lost her battle at a certain point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, I, I, I realize that people from that generation, like a lot of people don't like to talk about it because they think it's like too personal or too, which it, I mean, it is, don't get me wrong, but it's, they, they feel like they shouldn't talk about it. Like it's, you know, it, it, it's a really negative version of weakness. Like, they, like you don't want to let anybody on, but I, I think that's such a waste of time um, to keep hiding something as big as that, especially when, you know, it's been proven time and time again, that people do care about others in their life and they want to be, you know, there and aware. So. And how old were you? Were you, when you were diagnosed? I was, uh, 28. 
uh, right before, no, right before my 28th birthday, 27. So yeah, do the math. <laughs> Was that, is that age normal to be diagnosed? Um, I, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I think it's, I mean, generally people get cancer later in their years. Um, but I mean, I just know there's so, there's so many, I, I think it just kind of hits when it wants to hit. There's not really like, I, I, there's definitely higher risk groups, but, um, I feel like this is a question I knew the answer to earlier when I was researching, but now I'm just kind of like, uh, you cancer when you get cancer. But I mean, like only cause I also knew a bunch of kids, not a bunch, but like I knew a few kids growing up who got cancer. Um, and so I, I don't know if there's any like perfect time, quote unquote. <laughs> Did you, can you talk about some of the feelings you had? Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, I felt a lot. So <laughs> there, yeah, there's a whole rainbow of emotions that came through. I think the biggest one that I felt was I went back into and still have days where I go back into um, a depression that I used to feel from like my college years and prior before I, before I started understanding who I was as a person and like how to handle the world. Cause like I, I was always in a, just like this big depression of like, um, uh, you know, I th- thinking that people didn't want me around thinking that I was, um, annoying or a pain in the ass or that I wasn't chosen or, or, or I, I had this, this is gonna sound really sad, but it's okay because it's kind of like, understanding my worldview from there. When I was younger, I used to think that like God kind of saw me as like a joke or something like, and I know that sounds really awful, but I think a lot of people have that where they, it's kind of the imposter syndrome thinking that you're not meant that that the situation that you were put into was kind of like, this has to happen to you and don't let anybody know that, you know, you're not like the rest, you know, it's a very jarring and rock and hard place to be in, I think. Um, so I think that came about a lot during this thinking that, you know, like I'm a burden and that this also is typical that this happened. Like, of course, you know, like, come on, you know, you can't, like the idea of like, you can't stay too happy for too long or some bullshit like that. And so I was going through a lot of that, but I think I'm starting to get, not even starting, I've been out of it for a bit, but I, you know, it's, it's a day by day process. Um, so yeah. And I'm not sure, entirely sure what your question was again. Now I'm because it kind of went off. <laughs> I don't know if I fully answered. I just asked about your feelings. Oh, say it again. It, it went out. I asked about your feelings. Oh yeah, great. Then yeah, that was a big feeling. <laughs> um, but I mean, there was also huge feelings of um, like huge realizations, which a big one was like people want you to live. Like, and of course they do. And of course I know that for myself and for how I feel about others, but I think there was a big out like overpouring of like people not only reaching out, but checking in a lot, which was really worthwhile. And it, I think that was the biggest thing for me that, you know, people that I didn't expect to reach out to me did. And I connected with people that I had never connected with really before other, other than through Facebook or, you know, whatever social media there is. But 
yeah, I think it made me like, I think it had a great, it made a great catalyst for me to understand others and, and vice versa. Um, because every, I think everyone has some kind of connection to cancer or a, a you know, grave disease that, uh, you know, has affected them. And it, it it's very interesting and worthwhile to like learn lots of different perspectives on it. Um, cause it's, you know, it's that big question or whatever and big fears. And when it all hits you at once, like it's very easy to feel underprepared. I think that was also probably the biggest thing when I first got diagnosed, the big feeling that I have had was like, I don't think I can do this. Like just knowing who I am, it's part of the imposter syndrome thing, I think, where it's like, I'm not an adult. Like that was kind of how I saw the whole thing. It's like, I'm not grown up enough to go through chemo. And, um, you know, just thinking like, I don't know how I'll re like, I don't want to be mean to people. I don't want to react terribly. I don't want to do all these things that like, you know, that I have to do. And that was the thing. It's like have to versus like, can't. No, forgive me. The idea of like saying I can't versus I shouldn't have to is kind of more of a, was a big realization. And yeah, get getting over that hurdle of like truly assuming like it's, it was the same part of the depression of like, well, clearly this is the answer. Clearly God, you know, knows that I can't handle this. So, you know, and, and like all my feelings towards God are all, all vastly, <laughs> there's a whole, whole other world there. Cause I'm, I'm very agnostic, but you know, the overwhelming feeling of childhood tra- trauma is kind of hitting with this, you know, and seeing how it all connects, even though it's really more, it's all connected, but I think it's a little bit more random and a little less, uh, I hope this makes sense. It's not as personal. Like when you get cancer, it just kind of happens. It's not because like you joy deserve it or you, anyone deserves this. It's just like, here's the lot, here's the lottery. And you know, you won. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The the have to can, can't nonsense is, it was a big part of my, my growth, growth from it. Has your relationship to your, uh, to your body changed since your appearance has changed? Yeah, I think, um, it's interesting. I think I, realized for the first time my body dysmorphia, um, which was really jarring to understand because, um, I'm a thick chick and (laughs) what happened was, um, I lost all this weight in a very short amount of time. And it was very frustrating because not only do I not, I, I truly don't see myself as a skinny person. Like, I've never, I've never had that experience. And that's also been supported by the fact that, you know, I've been bullied a lot for my weight, you know, I have tons of different, you know, self-conscious issues, but it was so strange being told constantly that not only am I so thin, but that I look so good because, and this is not me bragging, but it's a very, uh, conflicting feeling to feel as horrible as I felt and then to be told how good I look because it also felt like a judgment on my weight. And that it was like, it's kind of one of those, again, mixed feelings of like, thanks, but also what? Like, 
that's not what I should be getting compliments on right now, you know? And not even just because I didn't want them from a self-conscious point point of view, but more so just like, is that still where my value lies? Like during all this, (laughs) and and again, this isn't against any one, like people who said this, again, I know that their intentions are very positive and stuff, but like not being able to look in the mirror and think that I'm skinny and then being told I am, and then being told that's a good thing. It's like, it also comes to that deserving feeling of like, am I supposed to deserve cancer somehow? And this is the way that my body is, you know, it's just, you know, again, just so, so complicated, so convoluted. So that was really difficult. And then it was also really scary because, because I was I knew that I was thinner because my pants all were getting very big on me. And then I went to a store in the mall um, and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm honestly not really sure what size I am. Can you help me? And she goes, yeah, you're really tiny, probably a two or a zero. And I said, no, I'm not. And she was like, it was one of those things where I was like, that's really sweet that you're pretending that. But like, I I truly didn't believe it until I put a pair of pants on and I, I could, I, it was the feeling versus the sight, you know, it would like, I, I, I never knew I had body dysmorphia until this. Um, so that again, very, very distressing, but you know, we learn. So, I mean, I think I've loved my body a lot more since in that I just want it to be, you know, I, I don't want to waste time thinking about how much I weigh it's really hard to, I don't have a, I don't have a scale anymore in my house because I don't think it's, I think it was really unhealthy for me to look at it every single day, three times a day, at least like, yeah, the, the psychology behind not seeing the number move the way you want is too much. I'd, I'd rather just go to my doctor once a month, which I'm doing anyway, and have them weigh me <laughs> and then be like, Oh, that's where I'm at. <laughs> so. And yeah. how's your body feeling now, how long have you been off treatment? I've been off treatment since, um, I believe March 16th. I think that's the date because the next day everyone, that was the order for everyone to go into quarantine. So I know. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> no, it's, yeah. I, I, so about, about just under, what has it been two months or two and a half months, two and a half months. Yeah. How, and did your body feel immediately, how, what is the transition of getting it to? Um, it, this, this last one was actually, I, I think I got much better quicker because I was so excited to be done. Um, I think that is like, like even, even the general steps of like how, how my body would react to chemo changed that last time. Um, cause usually it would be like, you know, like I, I would sleep all day. I would, you know, wouldn't be able to eat a whole ton in the beginning by the end I'd be able to, but then I'd also get like, like canker sores in my mouth and, you know, you know, I'd get a cut or something, you know, it would be kind of like in that order. Um, the canker sores didn't come, which was freaking phenomenal. Cause I think that honestly was the worst that, that yeah, t- to have sores in your mouth that just show up it. And then they last for like at least seven days, you know, it just torture, um, not being able to eat already and then trying to eat you know, anyway, but all of that stuff didn't happen that last time. 
I think, and I was just so much more energized just knowing that I could get, you know, back to some sense of normalcy, which I'm happy to say I have been at um, since. So yeah. So the last one was really good. So there's always, (laughs) even though like six months was so daunting at the beginning and it was a long journey, that was definitely a very worthwhile, you know, the ability to come out of that was really fun. I wanted to ask about uh, you that you posted some videos as you were shaving your head that I'm obsessed (laughs) with. How was that journey? That was, well, I mean, I had a a really positive journey with my hair loss, I'll say. Um, I... Because I've had some, that's another place that I've had a lot of anxiety with in my lifetime uh, was my hair because uh, I had very very curly uh, thick dark brown hair um, of which I used to always flat iron and um, you know not think was the correct hair to have. <laughs> I, I went to an all girls school where everyone has beautiful luscious straight <laughs> natural hair. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was my high school experience and also like my whole middle school experience with my hair, whole thing. But, um, yeah, I remember when I was, before I was officially diagnosed, my hair was already starting to fall out just from the stress of it all. Um, because that was the other thing is like not being able to, it wasn't that I wasn't able to tell people. It's that I chose not to tell people until I was officially diagnosed. Um, just because, you know, who knows, who knows what it could have been, but the, the overwhelming doom of like knowing it was probably that was causing my hair to fall out. And I had procured, uh, some, uh, hallucinogenic shrooms. (laughs) I love, I believe in shrooms very much because, um, they have always taught me lessons when I've done them like big, big perspective life lessons. And I was having a really bad day and I was going to do them with a friend and she was kind of just being kind of pissy. And so I was just like, I'm not, no, we're not doing it. Like I just, I think I was not going to deal with her nonsense and, and the rudeness of it all since I was, you know, offering her. Good. Anyway, um, but <laughs> I ended up doing them by myself in my room and I just stayed in my room all day. And as I was like, I was having a really nice experience. I was being silly. I was drawing, I was doing all sorts of things all by myself. And I pulled out my um, hair band to re- redo my, my bun. And there was so much hair pulled out with the hair band, like j- just the kind where you're just like, that's wrong, you know? And I started crying and I started holding my hair and I started talking to it, apologizing to it. <laughs> for, you know, damaging it as much as I had in the past and not appreciating it for what, you know, it, it, for how much it helped me become the person I am and all that kind of stuff. And it ended up like I was, I was crying, but I was laughing because I thought the whole situation was so stupid of what I was doing, but it was the fact that it was so okay for me to be doing that for so many reasons (laughs) was a really like really relaxing cathartic kind of feeling, um, to be as silly as I was in that moment and have it be 100%. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'm allowed to. Um, so that was fine. And then when I, and then when I, my sister was the one who was <laughs> who was shaving my head when I was going, it was probably like my second chemo after my, or no, right. 
I can't remember if it was right before or after my second chemo, but my hair was coming out and like in droves. And so I felt her like, you know, take my ponytail and snip and I could feel like the weight being taken away. It was one of those, like, it felt very much like Lindsay Lohan in uh, The Parent Trap. (laughs) We both kind of screamed a little bit when the first snip went. (laughs) But um, I really liked my way, the way my hair looked with like the, uh, what do you call it? Like shaved, but then kind of the, you know, almost a mohawk, but, you know, flopped over kind of. I really love that look. So I'm excited for when my hair gets to that length again. <laughs> it's coming in a lot. It's very funny. It's at the very beginnings of the fuzz. So like down here, it's very, it's very kind of quite soft. And then it gets a little more prickly up on top, but love it's that. exciting. It's exciting to see how my hair is going to turn out. What advice do you have for someone in their 20s who gets a diagnosis like this? Um, I think it's very important to, hmm, there's a lot. There's a, it's very important to accept help, I think. Um, but I think more so in helping yourself, because this is the thing that I think bothered me the most is that with everything that was stressing me out, I was also really like thinking that I should be able to do more. <laughs> like it was it was one of those things where like you know if I uh, it, it when you when you start going through chemo you realize just how much your body is supposed to rest and like all the things that you should be able to do even when you're sort of sick you won't be able to and I think it's really important to allow yourself to you know, ask someone to go get the cup for you or whatever, you know, like not feel, try to squash the guilt aspect as much as you can. And it won't be possible for every moment, but I think feeling guilty is not helpful. And, but, and also like one of the things that pissed me off is everyone kept asking me questions on how to make me more comfortable. And I think that was at a certain point I, I got very real and like my sister was like joy what uh what what, what do you want to hear what what music what song should we play on the radio and I just went just pick a song I, I truly don't care <laughs> like I just need to stop making decisions for a second and let the world ex- let myself exist in this world and I think that was a big thing is like I will tell let, let people know that you'll tell them when you need them as well versus taking on a new responsibility of now this crazy, like being in charge of everything. Not that you're in charge, but like you're able to give commands, I guess, (laughs) in in a less regal kind of way. Well, thank you for sharing so open and so vulnerably with me today. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. (laughs) Thank you for uh, having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) And uh, do you want to plug your podcast? Oh yeah, I have a new podcast. It's called Terrified Together. Uh, and Heather is going to be on an episode soon. They're being edited as we, not as we speak, but soon. And, um, yeah, I, uh, it's about uh, talking to people about the stuff that we're scared of because when we're terrified together, it makes life a little bit less scary. Uh, <laughs> which I think, you know, you're doing well on this podcast too. So good job. <laughs> I think the, the Dirty Girl podcast is such a brave thing to take a dive into. Talk about the real shit. Literally. We got real today. You, you, you Mm. (laughs) love it. (laughs) Thank you. Feels so 
Oh, love you so much. I love you too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joy. You're an inspiration. You're so freaking funny. I love hanging out with you. You're the best. If y'all want to learn more about Joy and all the great things Joy does, follow her on Instagram at Joy Mamie. Actually, let's look that up. I saw you really your Guys, I've worked over 70 hours this week and last week, and I'm just dying. But the show must go on. Joy. Yeah, it's Joy Mamie. <laughs> I'm so tired. At Joy Mamie. Please follow her. She's amazing. Okay, I love you. Good night. Dirty Girl is produced by me, Heather Ann Gottlieb, along with Cameron Taggy, Tristan Bankston, and Alex Salem. We are distributed by the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network. Our logo was designed by Kevin Laughlin.